was coming around the corner and this giant moose walks out right in front of me. Everything's white at night, you know, so this giant black thing just all of a sudden is right there and we've got really bright lights and it like, you know, it was enough to make me jump out of my seat and then I realized, oh, it's just a moose. Not gonna be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Mansfield in the dark every night mowing the lawn. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 68. John Stafford, a.k.a. J. Staff, is now a bit of a household name if you're a Stowe pass holder. His GoPro has become about 15% of the resort's social feeds this year, which has put night operations in the spotlight. Grooming is a much discussed but less understood component of running a modern ski resort nowadays, so we're going to try to make a little educational headway with Mr. Stafford, who spends his winters grooming first shift at Stowe Mountain Resort. Wintry Mix is Mad River Valley, Waterbury, and Stowe locals and visitors, recorded from above my garage in Waterbury Center. Half skiing, half not skiing. My email is alex at wintrymixcast.com. The show Instagram is at wintrymixcast. Give me a follow. The pod voicemail is 802-560-5003. Say your piece. Or don't, and just keep arguing on Facebook, whatever makes you happy. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are appreciated, and I'll owe you a beer in the wild. Last count was 147 of you have done the deed. If you haven't, you're next. Thank you. If you'd like to step up from Freeloader, visit patreon.com slash wintrymixcast to toss me a buck or two that I'm donating locally on behalf of the pod listeners when we hit 200 bucks keeps me from getting burnt out and i'll send you a sticker we're halfway to our first donation thanks to our first 20 supporters way to go team stand by for the goods the wintry mix podcast is supported by the town and country on the mountain road in stowe Under new ownership this season, the sign out front is historic, but the bar, restaurant, menu, and most of the rooms are all new. Food truck-inspired flavors and ever-changing specials, warm fireplace, and prices that bring in the locals, and you can enjoy Opre without your kids driving you nuts thanks to their massive game room. Concerts and comedy nights, too. Get advanced tickets or book your freshly styled room at townandcountrystow.com. We'll see you at the town and country. The lodging is in the front, the party and the parking is in the back. New person in the pod chair, name and what you do. Let's go. Uh, my name is John Stafford, and I drive a groomer at Stowe Mountain Resort.
I've never had a groomer in the chair. It took me till episode 68. That's probably slacking on my part. Um, but now that I'm a pass holder at Stowe, I can't help but see Jay staff in my face occasionally on the internet because personally, yeah, your riding footage is fun, but I love your in the cat footage. When did you start kind of capturing the in the cat content? I guess really last year was the first, maybe the first year, maybe a little bit the year before, but yeah, I kind of just in the past couple of years got into filming stuff, you know, um, which I missed a lot of good stuff my whole life, but recently when it was really manky and frozen and it hadn't snowed in a while, I think you were, what were you pushing down? Chin clip? Yeah. Chin clip. Chin clip's a, an interesting one because we only do it a couple times a year. Typically we only groom it when it's going to snow that night. So, you know, parts of chin clip are steep enough where you can end up sliding with the snow cat. So it just doesn't end up looking the best that it can, which is why we use the winch cat on the steeps. But Chin clip will will basically try to do when we're going to get some snow on top of it, blend everything together, um, or we'll do it when it's icy moguls that will you know anything we could do we did to just basically give it a reset you know na middle national um, you know gulch like weird places that don't usually get groomed. And we're going to go deep into grooming strategy later in the convo. Before we get there, remember when you first got in a cat? How long ago was this? I want to probably about 10 years ago. Um, we have a Piston Bully 100, which is a, you know, more like a trail groomer uh, at the Bolton, at the uh, Michelin Winter Driving School in Bolton, um, which is run by the 4x4 Center. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I would work there as an, a driving instructor. And when the winter class got bigger, he got a groomer and I jumped in and started grooming. No instructions. Had you driven heavy equipment prior to that? Yeah, and excavators and, you know, bobcats, things like that. And is that how people typically get into grooming? They've been driving heavy equipment of other types first? Yeah, I think you've probably got like a 50-50 split maybe. You know, half of the guys come in it from that direction. Half of it come in it from, you know, being motivated by being a skier or a snowboarder and wanting to be a part of it, be on the mountain, get a pass, you know. Um, also for your family, you get passes. So. And you were both. Yeah, I, it, well, that, and that would be another typical thing too, maybe – somebody who's into it, but also, you know, runs equipment. Um, I can like Burns, uh, Ryan Burns, who's one of our park groomers was a park guy. He used to do wind contests and stuff. And now he, uh, he's grooming the parks. He likes to just go out and hit powder around Jay peak every day and, you know, work at Stowe. But you weren't born in a snowcat, I assume. No, no. I was born in San Diego, California. That's not, that's not here. No. And, you know, I don't really, I only spent my real early childhood there. And then we ended up moving back uh, to Massachusetts. And then eventually I moved up, up here. So San Diego, Massachusetts, eventually up here, basically the skiing brought you or other stuff? Yeah, mostly the skiing. I'd been, you know, I spent a while coming, driving here to do it. And uh, living here is definitely a better alternative. And uh, yeah, I mean, where my wife and I went to school in the North Shore, Massachusetts was a great area, but very busy and far. I liked, you know, being in the mountains is definitely something I need to, to do in my life. You know, I've always kind of felt that. So what's your non-snow profession? I own a landscaping company, um, you know, stonework, hardscapes, walkways, things like that. So if I'm thinking about a patio when we're done here, we can go talk about it down, down below. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's how we do it. Uh, which, you know, the, that was the main reason I got into that was because I like to ski in the winter and not, or snowboard and not, uh, I, I never wanted to have a full job year round. Once I did that while I was in college, I worked for a landscaping company and realized, whoa, winter is a time where I could just do whatever I want. 
So then I just, you know, figured start my own company and, and go at it that way. So you're just driving the groomer though, right? People have to fix it when it breaks. You're not that guy. Yeah, no, we have a whole uh, crew of mechanics that work. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of snowcats. So there's a whole crew of mechanics that's there all day, works on the machines, doing the day-to-day stuff, replacing stuff. In the barn. In the barn. And then also one of those guys is on call all night uh, so that when we do break something, which is pretty routine, mostly it's hydraulic lines, we call them up and they get out of bed and they drive up there. We get up the mountain, fix it in the dark, and move on. So something goes pop. You notice it. Yeah, usually you smell it first. You okay. smell some you smell some hot sort of hydraulic oil. You start looking around, you see what's going on, you see that you're leaking, you shut everything off right away. Make a call to the mechanic, sit there in the dark and the freezing cold because you can't run the machine. Oh, that's what I was curious. If you could idle or not to stay warm. Some breakages you could idle and sit there. Other breakages you're done. You're sitting there, shut off. And if it's twenty below, it gets cold in that. That's why we bring full we have full gear with us, mostly for that. Um right. You can call another snowcat if it's real cold or something. The other guy will drive up, come get you. Um, but, yeah, then the machine gets fixed right there on the side of the mountain. Any oil or any kind of fluid that would come out would be shoveled into a barrel. All the snow that's any in any way touched by it will get brought down the mountain. And uh, amazing. So you're picking up the phone. You're getting somebody out of bed, right? Yeah, yeah. And some of the guys live a ways away, you know. I mean, they're not happy to hear and there's a rare instance where maybe might park the cat and they'd come in the morning to fix it if it was something really bad that, you know, we didn't think would be able to fix right away. But not typically. Typically they just come up and, I mean, myself, I've, you know, done a fair bit of mechanical work on my own equipment and vehicles and stuff and uh, blows my mind. I can't even imagine, you know, it's just. Can a cat get stuck, like fall off the edge of a cat track and then just be stuck? Yeah. Yeah. It happens. That happens from time to time too. Um, mostly deep snow, you know, something steep, deep snow. You can get a cat will slide. He'll look down and your tracks aren't moving. And that's when, you know, you're just, you're with the snow. So we're very good. There's ways to steer the cat. You could steer with the blade, you steer with your tiller. So you can actually float yourself down the, down the hill as you're sliding. Kind of ride it. But it can happen where you could get off the edge of the trail. Uh, typically we'll pull, you know, just pull them right out with something with another machine. And how long is a lifespan of a cat? I mean, is it 20 years or three years? Uh, yeah, or? I mean, I think if you keep up with it, it's almost indefinitely. I mean, you know, until things start rusting. Uh, things will break, but most things are replaceable on them. You know, we have engine blocks that'll be cracked or hydraulic engine, you know, that'll just ship in a new one. Stowe's amazing. We'll have a new one like the next day. I know if somebody has to get on a plane and fly across the country with it on their lap, for the lifts too. I know that's actually with the lifts that's happened a couple of times. Need one part. Well, the only way we can get it is somebody to fly here with it, bring us this part for the lift because it, you know, things got to run. So do you know where your cats go when you sell them? Cause they're retired or is it varies probably? Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. I'm sure there's other resorts though that there's a market up. for them. I would think as long oh, as they're absolutely, still working. Yeah. And you know, I, I mean, not every comp, not every ski resort has the money to afford brand new equipment. So that stuff's important to what's the current fleet like? Eight units, 12, 15? I mean, what is it? And, and are they all the same type or those a variety? They're all Piston Bully. Uh, Piston Bully 400s. We have a Piston Bully 600 winch cat. And we have a we have two winch cats, 600 and a 400. And then we probably have, I don't know, six fleet cats, a park cat. There's a bus cat that snowmaking usually uses with a big back transporter. Um, it's probably 10 cats maybe around there, give or take. My, the guys I work with are going to get on me for not knowing what 
you know how many snow cats we have just so you know everybody's supposed to know exactly the count know, maybe yeah, you probably should i'll count them tonight <laughs> well they're numbered you've got 980 but then i you know i'm not gonna get into all that it's nighttime you're out there you're by yourself crazy stuff must happen is it ever like spooky or there's a problem or an emergency what's an example of like a holy shit moment when you're out there in the cat you know, typically things are pretty mellow. I've been spooked a couple of times, like uh, top of the double one year. I was coming around the corner, and this giant moose walks out right in front of me. Everything's white at night, you know, so this giant black thing just all of a sudden is right there, and we've got really bright lights, and it, like, you know, it was enough to make me jump out of my seat, and then I realized, oh, it's just a moose, and I ended up following him all around, and he was trying to lay, lay back on him, but he was just trotting up the ski trail right where I needed to go. So, right. And he eventually went up off of the side of Ridgeview and just dropped off the side of the mountain into, like, snow that is just gone, you know? Yeah. Like, he didn't care. It's right through ski, steep, steep terrain. You know, we get involved in some some point in the year. There's somebody lost, stuck, um, injured. You know, we'll just kind of assist bringing rescue up or, you know, doing whatever we can do. Your transport. Yeah, a lot of times we'll be transport or just, hey, keep your eyes open for something. And I saw something in the news a week or two ago when we had kind of that ugly snowpack. Yeah, ugliest ever, really. I mean. And if you're trying to walk around on that, you're going to have a problem and something occurred because somebody tried to walk around on it. Yeah, a guy was hiking um, and, you know, he had some sort of crampons on. It was really, really icy. Um, And I imagine in retrospect, he probably... uh, you know, wishes he had turned around, but he, he, you know, got up into ungroomed terrain and ended up uh, sliding. And, and the snow was, or the, every inch of snow is covered with the shiniest ice that you could imagine. I mean, so every contour is, is just bulletproof ice of the most slippery kind. I mean, you could not touch it. Um, so he slid down the trail, um, ski patrol, luckily a person found him, ski patrol got him out of there. Um, he actually went in a helicopter I heard an update on him yesterday. It sounds like he's progressing really fast. Um, for whatever it's worth, uh, you know, they saved his life by finding him and, and getting him out of there. But so the way it interacted with us is that on our way out of grooming, uh, while we were heading up to groom Chin Clip, which is a pretty rare situation, you know, it was random that it was on the plan that night. I think they were thinking, okay, it's so icy, let's just get rid of this and mow it down. And, and snow was coming and start, soon, you know, and you would yeah. do that before snow. Yeah. We were on, ahead of some snow that was coming. So on the way out, anyway, as we're almost there, somebody says to us, "Hey, we've got the uh, we've got a call that maybe there was a dog with the guy, and uh, we're not really sure, but just keep your eyes open." So I'm in the lead on the way down Chin Clip, and we've got a couple other groomers, three other groomers behind me, and we'll basically just do these long laps down it. Um, and so we're, we'll work from the edge of the trail, basically push everything in the middle. The snow was these giant iceberg chunks of ice like you've never seen. So it was a Pretty unique. I don't think in grooming I've ever seen it quite that. I mean, it was running down Chinclip like it was a river. You're just building a, a river of, of ice chunks. Nothing sticks to anything else. Yeah, you're taking the blade and you're hitting the ice, the mogul. And as soon as you hit it, the piece just accelerates away from you. I mean, it's so all of the, the rubble was actually running down Chinclip all the way to the bottom. And as we got close to where we knew the guy had been found... All of a sudden, I saw a backpack and like a couple ski poles or something come flying out of the debris that I'm pushing. So I stop, and the pile slides another like 300 yards, and it gets caught in the moguls and stops. And I could see the backpack flopping around. So I'm like, I radio to the guys behind me and girls, you know, hold on a second. I'm gonna see if I can get this backpack. And I get out of the snowcat, and 
I mean, I can't even put a foot. There's no way I'm walking to the backpack, right? So yeah. I get back in, I drive my snowcat directly underneath it where I'm almost touching the backpack with my track. And I lean off the track and grab the backpack, find one ski pole, 10 foot debris pile, you know, that's just accumulated here. Like there's no searching for it. There might've been other stuff, but in that time, uh, Bailey, who's behind me in the snowcat says, she's spotlighting the woods, looking around. She says, I see the dog. So the dog, which is a labradoodle, you know, big flop, floppy, hairy looking thing is up in the woods and it's pinned against this tree. It's just sitting there and it, it, it can't, probably can't move either. It right. It can't move. So, cause at first, so I ended up driving the snowcat up the hill to where the other two cats were. And I opened up my blade and I put it below us so that if we did slide while we were getting you know involved with this dog, we we're going to, you know, we've at least got the blade to stop us. Cause obviously if you go, you're going with extreme speed. Um, so yeah, uh, Bailey basically put on her crampons that the mountain had just given us a week before. And funny enough, when my boss gave them to us, you know, there was a little joking around about it among the, uh, us at the shop, you know, Oh, what are we going to, you know, just, just fun kind of ribbing. And sure enough, four or five days later, if we didn't have those crampons, there's no way we were going in to get the dog. I mean, we took a shovel, a couple ratchet straps. We tied some ratchet straps to the trees. We shoveled little footholds. And she basically went out there, got the dog, which was barking. And yeah, I mean, the thing just wanted to get out of there. Uh, we felt horrible for it. And there was no way. At one point we were thinking, do, you know, we have to make sure we can safely get there. And obviously while we're working, that's not, you know, we have to be, have a very safe approach for many, on many levels, you know, that's not really what we're there to do, but we weren't going to leave the dog there. You know, it was not. So somebody had to get the dog into one of their cabs. Well, so we, so Bailey got the dog and basically we brought it across, belayed her across to me with the dog and I carried it and stuck the thing in the snowcat and it just curled up in the passenger seat and I fed it some Fritos and thing was happy as could be, you know, I mean, <laughs> curled up in my jacket. I mean, the poor dog just, uh, so it was really great to, I know you're a dog owner. I am. I mean, for if you have an injury or something like that in your family, I imagine having the dog not be stuck on the side of the mountain is a, it was single digits. I mean, the dog is amazing. It really didn't seem like it was all that bothered by it. Like once I drove it down, we got it out walking around in the parking lot. I mean, and you work first shift or second shift? First shift. So that means this was between four and 12 ish. Yeah, it was probably six, seven o'clock. So the dog had probably been standing there for you know, five, six hours, who knows? I mean, just trapped. Cause when we first got to it, I was trying to call it like, okay, come on over thinking it could maybe, and it just was like, nope, not, no thanks. I'm gonna stay right here. What determines working first or second shift? Did you want that or is there a reason? Yeah. I mean, for me, that's really, you know, to work the, uh, the late shift is a real, and there's guys who've done it forever, but you know, your life, you don't get a lot of sleep, um, which isn't something I get a lot of now, but it's a real kind of life changer. Um, so for me, four to midnight was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm done by midnight. I might have to suffer a little bit, but I can still get up early and get to the mountain. You can still have a quasi normal life schedule. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And you know, it's only, it's a short season really too. I mean, it's a few months and then. So when I was still a hundred percent in the industry, I was always the communications or marketing person, but we always had snow plan. And that was every day. What are we dealing with out there? What are we going to do tonight? What does it mean for tomorrow? X, Y, Z. I assume Stowe has some version of that kind of ritual. Yeah, Stowe has, a, has, the, has snow plan meeting every day. Uh, so Is that at 2 o'clock? Like what time? I believe it's 11 o'clock. Okay. Uh, we don't get involved in that. We basically just get handed a plan when we come into grooming. Um, 
but you know, yeah, the head of snow surfaces is there and ski, ski patrol, ski school, you know, just all the entities that have anything to do with what's happening. Um, so usually we'll get a, we actually get a pretty good list of every trail. We get a, we have a whole list of all the trails, what's on, what's on for grooming tonight. Um, and then just special requests of what to do. And then if a trail needs like 10 passes, for instance, cause it's wide, are those happening one cat doing 10 passes or is it like 10 cats wide? Well, it varies. There are times, uh, especially when it's snowing a lot, we'll tend to group up. Um, it doesn't make sense when it's snowing an inch, two inches an hour to have one cat going up and down nosedive. Basically what happens is by the time you get back to the bottom, your your pass is already buried in six inches of snow. Right, it would be an inconsistent groom side yeah, to side. Yeah, it doesn't. So you're never able to match up to your pass. So if it's snowing like that, best case, you've got a few cats at least together and you're just mowing you know and then at least it's flat and we don't typically also always groom fully up and down you know we'll you know like nosedive turns for instance we'll we'll usually take care of that and get that done and then we'll work you know work below it we're not going to do these super long loops up and down every time yeah you're, you're doing it in kind of available chunks it's i always want to imagine that it's similar to like mowing a really weird lawn it is yeah and 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 what we'll also do is so we have parts of the trails that are skinny and parts that are wide. So it doesn't make sense to run a cat, do 20 laps up it when you're grooming over the same terrain 20 times that's already groomed just to get to the wide spot of the trail that needs more passes. So what we'll do is we'll we'll try to stack our passes up in that area. Either we'll spin around, come back down, spin around, come back up, or uh, we'll, we'll just back up down the hill. We'll back down the hill lay another part of the quarter right, get out of that track, back down the hill. And so we'll widen it out that way as opposed to just, you know, endlessly grooming something that's already been groomed, you know. So general strategies then for those that are not super keyed into it, snowstorm night compared to, it hasn't snowed in three weeks night compared to spring night, very different strategies. So it's say it's, uh, you've already got a lot of snow down. We're in a big cycle and it's dumping more. What's the general grooming strategy for snow? There's certain trails that always get groomed every night. Those are those are always going to get groomed. But if it's snowing, that's when we're going to typically we'd probably group up together and try and mow off some big parts. If it's been snowing a lot, you know, places like you know like Lower National or um, places like that just aren't going to get groomed. They're going to let them. They're going to let them stay snowy. It may affect which of the steeps get groomed. Um, you know, lift line, hayride, and that kind of thing. But a lot of times that's set by you know, what's been groomed recently, what needs it more. So unless it's really just wild weather, 80% of the plan is kind of the same every night. Yeah, like especially holiday week. This week, it's like throw the plan away. Just it's the same every night. Every It's all trails besides a few of them. Yeah. You know, you get a Monday night, middle of the week when nobody's around, things are going to get slimmed down. The only thing that really changes all that is if it's 40 degrees all night. Sure. And then if it's 40 degrees all night, if it's 40 degrees all night and stay in 40 degrees, we'll probably go out and groom, but it may end up being second shift that grooms only. Um, if there's weird weather, rain involved or anything like that, we'll we'll hold off on grooming and it'll just we'll just groom the morning right before. What about in spring where maybe that freeze doesn't come in until like later in the night or things like that? Does it change in spring at all? Yeah, and uh, in the spring, things there's less grooming done for sure. If things aren't going to freeze up, things get turned into moguls and we pretty much it gets down to opening route but usually by spring i'm i'm traveling somewhere so i let the other guys handle handle the spring you know it's hard to make nice groom when it's warm too it comes out mealy or leaving track marks the machine has to work really hard to you know the harder the machine has to work 
you're you're going to leave these marks that the tiller can't fill in you know so if you have to dig these real if your track's digging these real big holes you look behind you you're still going to see those underneath there um and in the spring that's you know the cat has to work really hard to to move up it you got any pet peeves that um other groomers are uh annoying you on the radio with well, we have this one guy, Matt Kozvinsky, and he's got a singing habit recently. But it, actually, it doesn't really annoy me. I kind of like it. What What is he saying? Is there certain songs? Yeah, last night, what was it? Two nights ago, he was singing um, The Great Groomer in the Sky, I think, was one of his songs. And he'll actually write it down. Pink Floyd cover? I don't know what it was. It was the, Pink Floyd wasn't wasn't what I thought of when I when he sang it. He'll record them sometimes, and we'll plug them in in the grooming barn and put them on the big speakers. It's only been a recent thing, but he's getting some requests now from snowmaking. Uh, you guys have requests now for me. Well, I'll have to. I think I, I can I, probably I want manage. a little bit of this. Yeah. I can put it right here. I think I could manage to get you a little. Oh, man, that would be fantastic. I would love to get a little of that. Oh, boy. You can use your phone. Just pull it right out, or you can pull yeah. it right off the radio. It's, yeah, I can get it. I'll ask him today. He can. I'm sure he'll be happy to have it on the airwaves. He puts his blade down in his tiller too. He's groomed the mountain, now it's what he loves to do. You gotta get some Stafford love, oh yeah. You gotta get some Stafford love, just right. You gotta get some Stafford love. He puts his blade down. And his tiller too, he's putting corduroy down and it's just for you. So one of the ways that the grooming department interacts with the non-grooming public, other than the skiers skiing it every day and commenting on it in a million different ways, is the growth of the uphill segment of population. Yeah, absolutely. And mountains are dealing with it in different ways. I think we're kind of in the middle of the adjustment process to it on a kind of many year scale where, you know, at first it was very abrasive and then it was kind of like, well, let's figure out a way. And there's just a push and pull constantly. Yeah. And so with you sitting in the cat and your primary goal being safety and kind of everything else, number two after that, you know, how often do you see an uphiller maybe where they shouldn't be or where they should be? What's kind of your take from a grooming perspective on the uphill movement? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) there's not a night that goes by that we don't see a Skinner, um, which, which is, you know, is what it is. But, uh, there are, there are some funny random nights where it's like the most bulletproof it could be. It's 20 below zero and I'll still see somebody, you know, one night actually I saw a guy, he was just walking through the nosedive turns when it was as, as bulletproof as it, it could get, you know, and I look over and I see the guy with a headlamp and he's walking by and I'm like, he doesn't even have skis. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And he messaged me the next day on Instagram. Hey, thanks for not running me over last night. I lost my phone on the hike up to the, to the stone hut and had to go back down and retrieve it. And uh, that's what I was involved in, you know, but um, no, there's a lot of people. What's the route during your shift what's the four to 12 route i technically? believe it's usually um lullaby lane t- toll road maybe um right first half and then the second half is when it becomes that's when it becomes nosedive perry merrill so so that's all that has affected our grooming plan tremendously because it used to be first shift groomed the, the mountain the quad you know we do nosedive and we do everything lookers left of nosedive with the new skinning routes, we need to have nosedive and Perry Merrill done before midnight. So now it's transitioned to us doing 
Nosedive, Perry Merrill, and all of the Gandhi. Um, also some stuff at Spruce, the steeper stuff. So it basically flipped. So it's changed. It flipped it all around. Yeah, so for years, for the first couple of years that I worked at Stowe, I, um, well, in the grooming department, because I was a host for five years before that. Stowe host, helping the people. <laughs> Interesting job. Uh, if people could see your smile right now, yeah, that would be helpful. Good. It's, a good, it's a good one. It was a good program. So you see uphillers, you know, if you had a crystal ball, where do you think the uphillers versus safety concerns will be in 10 years? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it doesn't seem like people necessarily follow the skinning routes, which is. Or 70% you know, do and 30% yeah, don't. Yeah, which do is fine. I mean, so the thing is for me, I'm very torn with this whole thing. I've spent time, I certainly like to skin up the mountain in the early morning and get up there before first chair. It's something I've done for 20 years, maybe more than that, you know. Um, so I am with the skinners in one regard, but also there's just the safety aspect of it. And that's really what the grooming worries about is, um, especially with the winching. You know, we set up the winch cat um, and basically tell people, you know, we'll put a big pile of snow in front of wherever they're working. There'll be a big pile of snow, flashing red lights, winch cat, winching in progress. There are times people just go right through there. The um, cable gets hooked across Lord, which we call Hooker Alley right there. So there's also different names for everywhere on the mountain. Grooming has different names than anybody has ever heard. So like, like, g- give me a few. Well, like the little underneath the lifts where at the very bottom of the quad or bottom of every lift, there's just like that. We call those the trout ponds. And like, so if the trout ponds need to be cleaned out, it says in the plan, that means go underneath the lift and start at the bottom and dig it out. Um, uh, there's a part of Main Street called Ted's Belly. Uh, there's Sunspot. There's, uh, yeah, just you name it. Any part of there, there's different names for everything um, from the grooming world. But the winch cable, anyway, goes across what we call Hooker Alley, which is Lord there. So if you were staying at the Stone Hut or if you were skinning at night or doing whatever and you wanted to just run right down opening route, you're going to hit some snow piles and some flashing lights. But if you go through that, which people have done, the winch cable is dangling across the trail. The winch cable moves and it will move 10 feet in the air. So there was a point where, where one of the guys caught people on snowshoes and the guy, so winch cat is down below. He can't see anything. He gets a radio call, stop immediately. He stops. And there's a, cause there's a person stepping over the cable and so the guy actually who was a snowbaker has the people back off and he's like, I just want to show you what was about to just happen. And he has that, okay, okay put his one on the cable and the thing jumps, you know, eight feet in the air. It'll, it'll kill you dead. So nobody in grooming is looking to have that on their shoulders, I guess. It's, so, so that's where just being safe about it, I think is the main thing. You know, it doesn't bother me. People have lights on. I can see them. They're visible. It's all we need really, you know, don't be on chin clip when we're flushing 10 feet of debris down on top of you either. I, it's just, you know. I mean, so is, is it as simple as follow the damn rules so that you don't get in trouble? I think it makes sense. To, I think it's, you know, do you really want to skin up toll road? I get that, but, you know, not the worst approach. Yeah. There's, people do skin up nosedive every morning. I mean, that is, there's a train. I quite often get up there really early, ski down, nosedive, and I'll go by. It looks like the Himalayas. Light, headlamps just row of them so you're getting home from work at one in the morning right basically the living life having a night job not working nine to five yeah it it changes things how how is your day-to-day your 24-hour ritual different than the rest of us who kind of wake up with and go to sleep with the sun yeah boy um yeah typically i'd i'd get home 
If it's snowing, I try to just force myself right into bed right away. You know, if it's not snowing, I might have a beer, hang out, relax for a couple minutes. Cause you know, coming home and just instantly trying to snap yourself out of it is, can be tough for any, any job, but it does, that doesn't change in the middle of the night either. You know, you could easily sit down, watch a movie. It'd be four in the morning, which I think a lot of guys probably do I try to limit that for myself. Cause I like to be up there early. Um, so I'll, I'll get up early. Do you just operate with five hours of sleep? Yeah, a lot of times. So, so typically what I can do is I'll get to sleep, I'll get up early, drag myself out of bed, fight my way up to the mountain, and then I'll go till maybe, you know, maybe noon, one, come back down the hill to my house because I don't live very far away, and then try to relax before I start my next job. So t- in a perfect world, I could get a couple hours of rest time, maybe a little bit of sleep in there too, and then and then go to work. But also we do snow removal. So there are days when randomly that whole program is thrown out the window and I just have to go to work all day too. But I'll sneak a run in in the morning then too. So that day would involve getting up, get a quick run, go meet the guys across the street where we remove the snow, and then try to work, work for the day, go inside the lodge maybe, get something to eat, go across the street, like wash my shoes or wash my feet in the sink in the bathroom. Don't tell anybody that. You just did. I'm definitely leaving that. Sorry, guys. Don't use that sink. No, but I'll- Which which sink specifically? No, no, no sink. Forget that. Forget that I said (laughs) that. Uh, But no, I'll I'll do like a full clothes change up, like try to wash myself and go to work, you know? And that can happen on a real good powder day too, because I just will be- I may skin so far out that I'm just, you know, it takes me hours and I just barely make it into work and do what I can, take my boots off in there. And What do you listen to in the cat? I listen to, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. I blow through a lot of, I mean, you can imagine eight hours in a night. You can, so like podcasts, listen to them all. Um, I'm starting to work my way through your show, so I've got some. There's an archive there. Yeah, which is good. I love finding ones. I don't like the live ones that are happening up to date. That You know, I don't want to wait to see. I just want, if I can run like, you know, like uh, was S Town was a great one, but you know that's a night. That's right? Done. Yeah, yeah, you're done with those things. Done. Night. Throw it away. Next day, move on to something else. So I can go <laughs> wow. through them quick. You know. I listened to your answer about your sleep schedule. I think you sleep five hours a night. I think that's your life. Yeah, unless on like okay, want to take a night? Say this week we got that. I think they called it two, three inches of snow. Um, I worked, went up to the stone hut because my friends had the stone hut at the end of my shift. I think that was probably about one. Could not sleep, um, just laying there in the stone hut listening to snoring. And, you know, I looked at my phone, it's like four. I'm like, God, fall asleep, wake up, 6.30. I'm like, it's a 7.30 lift opening, up and at them. Went and rode and, uh, yeah, it was a two-hour night of sleep. And so I came home and I tried to take a nap. I just couldn't sleep, really. So I just ended up doing stuff and moved on. And, I, and then last night was a night off for me, so I got some sleep and I slept in this morning. So I caught up, but... I'll forego the sleep if it's good enough and put it off till a later date. You know, it's kind of my... Yeah, I think you've adjusted to a lifestyle where you sleep when you can sleep, but it's not as regular as other people. Yeah, and I'm in the winter too. Summer, I have a more regular schedule, you know. I can just sleep with the best of them, so... All right, lightning round, you ready? Ready. How much diesel do you drink every night? About 40 gallons. Wow. Yeah, some nights will be in the mid-30s, but like I know last uh, two nights ago, last night I worked was 40, 40 gallons. So that's 40, that's one cat, that's one shift. Yep, so double that for the night. A mountain is, say there's 10 cats on a shift? Yeah, well, we've got probably, yeah, say there's 
to make the math easy for so me. This is not even snow. I'm just uh, imaginary well, there's five mountain. cats probably running per shift each night. Oh, okay. Only five. So, yeah, probably okay, more so, like... So, so 10 total. 10 cat shifts. If it was five and five, 10 cat shifts, 40, so 400 gallons a night. Yeah, call I, it 500. I, I want to be able to like do an imaginary ski area statistic winch cats, in my, some, on my own. There's more. Probably the winch cats are using a little more fuel. They've got two fuel tanks. I mean, you got to call it probably five, at least 500 gallons a night. That's thirsty. Yeah. Public misunderstanding. The one thing that the public misunderstands the most about grooming. Well, I mean, I think there's a, the list is endless with that, you know. Um, I would say the main thing with grooming is every day the skiers push the snow down the trail and to the sides of the trail, right? That's why when you're out there and you're like, oh, the sides of the trail are great, you know, in the afternoon or whatever. So every night we, I think, I just don't think people realize how much we actually do with the blade of the machine. Um Every night, that trail will look like a big U. So we'll take it and we'll crush those edges and put them back in the middle. And and so we'll actually, when there gets that layer of ice or hardness over the trail, we'll break that whole thing up. And, and if you tried to ski down that in the middle of the night, there's a six-foot-tall row of snow in the middle where we've been moving it across the trail. And so we're really resurfacing the whole trail. And, you know, Stowe has an amazing group of guys who have been doing this. The guys that I've learned from that are there are, like, unbelievable. I mean, grooming takes a long time to be good at it's not like driving other equipment in that sense. Like anybody maybe can get in and move the thing around, but to know how to groom the mountain. And also I like to think about it as how you ski the mountain. That fully affects the way the mountain is groomed, you know. Um, but, yeah, there's guys who just been, you know, I can't help but just look good behind them wherever they go. What kind of food you got in the cat? I try, you know, so this is the other thing. It's very easy to develop what's called a grooming belly. And because you can just sit there, listen to your podcast and just eat all night. You know, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do? So my, my kind of mode that I live by is I don't really eat during the day. Uh, I pretty much just save it all up and I eat when I, so typically when I get into grooming at four, I cook my food right in there. And then we, most people do actually, we all kind of sit down and eat before going out. That's pretty typical. Oh, you're eating before you're eating during? Before. So right at four, four thirty when we get there, we've all, we're all making our food and we all sit down everybody's eating whatever their wife made or what they, they made or what they brought in. Um, and then I'll go out and I'll just have some snacks. So I'll, I'll try to, I also try to limit that though. There are nights when I'm hungry. Cause I just, I, I know if I, whatever I bring will get eaten at about 10 o'clock at night, I eat everything that's in there like a random gummy bear that was left from the other shift, whatever. I eat it all. If you could tell Piston Bully or any all the manufacturers one thing you wish they would start doing with their cats, what would it be? Well, I would say go back to um, – so we have five different sticks right now. So the controllers, the stick, we have five different ones on our cats at the mountain right now. So that's five totally different ways of operating the stick. And so the the way you control the blade and your tiller behind you – I mean, you think PlayStation has a lot of buttons. This is so what you're doing a lot of times is you're activating a button and you're moving a joystick in a direction. And while that button is activated and the joystick's moving that way, it does one function. When the button's off, it does another function, multiple buttons. So there's a lot of different stuff, and they really need to just, we need to settle on one. And I think the newer one that they have has that. Also, the older cats have a tiller steer that's on your left hand. So I don't know, just basics so of the grooming. Standardize their controls. Yeah, just a couple basics of grooming. You know, it's not like you're driving with a steering wheel driving down the road, although there are cats that have steering wheels. Ours have sticks. So you've got one stick that controls the right track, one stick controls the left track. If you hit them both opposite directions, you're going to spin in a circle. And 
So the newer cats, all your controls are on your right hand. All you have over here is just driving. On the older cats, you have these little buttons that steer the tiller. Um, so when the tiller steering was on the left hand, it was a lot better. It gives your other hand something to do, you know, instead of like I'm moving the blade, I'm opening a wing, I'm turning it sideways, I'm making sure, because you never want to spill anything out on the good stuff that you just did. You know, you groom one pass, you stack up next to that, that pass, next to that one. You've got a bad side and you've got a good side and you're always keeping that good side good or you look like a jerk, you know, if you're spilling rubble out. Unless it's snowing a ton and then you can't help but spill something out. There's times when that happens too. Favorite burger in snow? I'm going to say, I'm going to say Doc Pond's burger. They've got a good one. If Tom Brady were a wild animal, what kind would he be? Maybe like a dolphin with like the unicorn's horn or something. <laughs> is that an animal? There's probably somebody on the uh, grooming crew who like is the Tom Brady where they're came in with low expectations and now they're just nasty. Oh yeah. Well, so, okay. So the other, the person I have to talk about there is though, is George, uh, George, I don't know how long it's been that he's been working at Stowe grooming, but uh, before I think the cats, they even were like numbering them and stuff. Um, so yeah, he's a pretty legendary guy in the grooming department. I would say he's he knows he knows how to do it for sure. So you can keep doing your whatever the GoPro riding footage is. I I can't watch that. I I, I don't. Some people really like it. The 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 ripping powder footage. I like the in the cat stuff. Yeah, yeah. If people want to see more of the in the cat stuff, and they can watch your other GoPro footage if they want. Uh, the the handle, the Instagram. Yeah, it's J at J Staff. There's some underscores in there. But find it. J Staff, there's like an underscore in there, but is in the cat footage. Uh, overnight, you can feel like you're sitting right in the cat. John Stafford, thanks for being on the pod. Yeah, thanks a lot, Alex. And it's rant time. Or is it? Let's check the pod voicemail. Everybody out there on the East Coast, this is Dig from Schweitzer Mountain Resort in northern Idaho. We are way up in the Idaho Panhandle near Canada and the Selkirk Mountains, but pretty easy to get to thanks to the airport in Spokane. So AK and his buddy Adam are paying us a visit later this month, and, well, we wanted to lend a hand. Someone said that AK's skis are older than his dog and designed specifically for your East Coast frozen granular, whatever that is. And since we've had 228 inches of snow this season, 77 inches in February alone with some fantastic powder conditions mountain-wide, we're going to help AK out with some demos. You know, skis with a rocker, a little width underfoot. So AK, leave your bump skis at home so you won't get in a fight with the airline about overpacking your ski bag. And one other tip, the best local beer to stock up on after you land is McDuff's Irish Redhead. Then we can have them in the wild. Okay, you guys, we'll see you soon. Safe travels. Can't wait to get you here at Schweitzer. That's right, Adam and I are headed west here shortly, and hopefully we'll get something other than blazing sunshine. The next pod will be akin to episode 42, which was the Snowbird episode. Yep, 69 will be a roadie. Extra shouts go to VT Ski and Ride magazine for hyping the podcast, all the Wintry Mix Patreon supporters keeping me motivated, Adam Levy, who did our theme music, and all the listeners out there as we zoom past 150,000 downloads. I did a little math and realized I've spent around 700 hours just editing this thing over the years. Man. 
Follow on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast and introduce a pal to the project. Goodbye. So quick thoughts. You experienced the lunch hour bowl before we talked here today. What are your, what are your thoughts? It's great. What a place to have in your backyard. I didn't want to push you to shoot two and three after we saw what happened on shoot one. Yeah, shoot one. I went down. went down. I saw some lumber. I decided to bail. Give me a couple runs on those things. I'd be right into it. Okay, this is just a rough take. Cross-country groomer. You think you're so cool. If you want your trail to be real good, if you want your trail to ski just right. Uh, I think North Slope is hey, done. Could you guys fucking stop interrupting my song? <laughs>